Hello, friends. We are back with episode 106 of the Our Weekly Highlights podcast, back to our somewhat regular recording time once again. So it is a quick turnaround, but hopefully that's all good news to all of you. In fact, we have another regular episode of Our Weekly Highlights. And of course, I can't do this without my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how's it going? It feels like it's been very recent since we last chatted. It's a pretty quick turnaround for the regular listeners. Uh, they'll know that we recorded a little late last week as we're playing a little catch up, just trying to get uh, get squared away here in, in year 2023 and get all caught up because, you know, Eric and I have nothing going on other than this podcast, especially Eric. So it's... Uh, oh. Yeah, that's that's how life rolls around here, doesn't it? But um, in any event, speaking of getting on track, this is our first episode with an actual issue from this new year so this is the first issue 2023 week one of our weekly that we're going to be talking about today and it's been curated by our newest uh recruit to the curation team sam parmer a good friend of mine and does another excellent job with this issue as always and he had tremendous help from our our weekly team members and contributors like all of you around the world and we're going to lead off with appreciation and some interesting enhancements to something that was a game changer many years ago. And it powers a lot of the revolutions in literate programming and literate reporting that we use in the R ecosystem today. I am, of course, referring to the Knitter Package, easily one of my top whatever you want to call it, uh, list of game changing packages authored by our studio software engineer, Ihue Sia, um, had the great pleasure of talking with him in previous conferences. And if you dig into the old archive of the R podcast, he was my first ever interview. So kudos to him for being the guinea pig in my adventures back in those days. But why are we talking about Knitter today? So in his blog post, he talks about a new enhancement coming to admittedly something that I just kind of you know, just took for granted and was happy it was there at all. And he is referring to progress indications as you compile an R Markdown report or anything that Knitter produces. So if you've been using R Markdown and Knitter by proxy for a bit now, you realize that as you hit that knit button in R Studio or you run the compile functions in the R console, you'll get for each chunk a little bit of progress that's showing you the percentage of completion. And it goes one by one. And I'll be perfectly frank, I've never had an issue with this because frankly, I am very appreciative of having Knitter in the first place. But uh, there's a little bit of history to this. Apparently way back in 2019 or 2020, um, the Knitter uh, GitHub repo is always a fascinating place to see where development happens. And um, our studio's uh, chief scientist, Hadley Wickham, put an issue on there about maybe we could modernize the progress indication. Now that we know a bit more about how we can tailor that effectively in the packages that we've been creating. And then there were others that chimed in as well. And then lo and behold, in November of 2022, eWay has now put into the development release of Knitter a more flexible progress backend where the progress bar itself that comes by default is gonna be much more streamlined where it's only going to be one that shows the progress throughout the entire report that you're compiling. But wait, there's more. 
If you like your progress indicators indicators from other packages in the R ecosystem, you're going to be able to bring your own progress indicator. I have my eye on the progressor package from Henrik Benson as a thing I'll probably plug in as I get kick the tires on this. But Ewe in his uh, patented style, he's always had this kind of self-deprecating sense of humor. He feels bad about putting the knitter user base through this default progress indicator for so long. Well, Ewey, I'm sure Mike will have something to say about this too. Please, please, we are so thankful for Knitter. You do not have to apologize for a single thing in my perspective. So I'm I'm just happy to have anything new that comes in the pipeline. And Knitter definitely deserves recognition for being what powers what many of us are using routinely today, both in our markdown and, of course, the more recent Quarto engine. Knitter is one of these sub-engines that makes all the magic happen. So anytime Knitter gets some updates, I'm all over it. I love seeing it. But anyway, tremendous job for putting this feature in and, of course, being responsive to user feedback, which is always an open source, one of the most appreciative things that we can ask of maintainers. So I love seeing this. Of course, I'm one of those people who are fake broke, don't fix it. But of course, that's my opinion anyway, I guess. But Mike, what do you think about um, the new progress feature in Knitter? Well, I always love hearing from, from EUA as well. And this is almost bittersweet. Like I can't even count the number of our markdown files. And now Quarto, which also uses Knitter on the back end, um, that I have watched knit over the years and watched that big, long progress screen uh, show up. So it's, it's, it's almost bittersweet. I, I guess I'm excited to see, um, to see what the new inline progress bar looks like. I'll, I'll have to take a look. It's, it's pretty interesting. I, I think it's pretty awesome that, that Quarto, just in case you weren't sure, also uses Knitter on the back end. So when I think about the Knitter package itself, like making any changes to it at all have to be quite a, must be quite a rigorous process because just so much of scientific computing and uh, communication of results and so many different packages uh, sit on top of Knitter and rely on Knitter. So I have a lot of appreciation for the time that it must take EUA and others to to maintain the Knitter package and to implement enhancements and, and, and updates like this. And if you don't want to change the uh, old progress screen to the new single line progress bar, you don't have to. So if you're not comfortable yet, but you still want to grab the, the latest version of Nitter, you don't have to. Um, there is an option that you can configure like in your R profile file if you want that will keep the old behavior uh, via, or you could just run it um, at the top of your script. Options knitter.package.verbose equals true. And that will give you the, the, the old school output that you know we're currently used to seeing. And like you said, Eric, I think Eway is, is certainly his own worst critic. Um, he apologizes to us for what he calls the quote unquote garbage information in the progress bar. Um, like you, I just think that the, the magic that is Knitter made me completely unbothered by the ver verboseness of the progress bar. But it's it's always great to hear from Eway to uh, hear about some of the updates that are coming in the Knitter ecosystem. And I'm excited to try it out as well. 
and maybe bring in a package like beeper or something like that to make a cool sound once my uh, progress bar has has finished progressing, if you will, for my future Quarto documents. Yeah, that's a little foreshadowing what we'll have later in the in the episode too. But uh, yes, um, that opens the floodgates, you might say, of what you can do to customize Knitter's uh, uh, progress engine. So I'm really, yeah, I, I'm going to have fun geeking out on this um, as I get the development version installed on my systems. And we're not done yet with Eway. He's always got tremendous insights, and that's going to lead us into our second highlight, which is, again, coming from Eway's blog. And if you're not subscribed to that, you should. There's always some really thought-provoking posts that he's put on there. And next, we're going to talk about literate programming in itself as a way for your R package development. This topic should ring familiar if you've been listening to R Weekly highlights or watching R Weekly for a recent amount of time because we've actually seen some community developments in this space. But Eway talks about still um, reading this uh, mailing list from the statistics group at Iowa State, which is where he went to graduate school, and then coming across a snippet and a presentation by a, by a Jacob Bean, who is a professor at USC in data science. Apparently, he sent through a note about his package called Litter, L-I-T-R, that enables you to do literate programming and develop a package from an R Markdown file. And again, this is an interesting take on development. I admit I am still new to using this functionality to create a package, but it has been in my mind a little bit because there have been some other efforts in this space, which we'll get to in a little bit. But in terms of what Litter does itself, it ha- comes with some pre-baked templates to get you started pretty quickly, wherever you want a very basic package or you want one that has to deal with an internal data that you want to expose, or maybe you want the extras that we often see that are proposed by use this, such as having to read me, a set of vignettes and a nice website. And yes, a hex sticker because you got to have hex stickers for your packages. And this one was really intriguing, a template to make an R package from a book down template. So I guess if you have a really complex package, that might be something worth a look if you want to put your documentation in the form of book down for more comprehensive uh, integrations. Now, I've not tried Litter before, but certainly that's news to me that it exists. And I'm certainly um, be interested in looking at this in the future. But there is, there has been other developments in this space, and I'm interested to see how it compares. And that is with a package that we talked about last year. I can't remember the exact episodes, but it's in the back catalog of Sebastian Rochette's uh, Fusion package from ThinkR. So it might be an interesting exercise to kind of put the two side by side and see which one is best for you if you want to subscribe to the literate programming uh, development model for your R packages. But it's always great to see choices in the community like always. And we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on Litter to see how that does in the future. But uh, Mike, what do you think about this uh, Litter programming development mindset here? Yeah, I'm very intrigued by the Litter package. And, and like you, Eric, I immediately thought of the Fusion package uh, by Sebastian Rochette. And I think that the ThinkFR team uh so, so I was trying to look at the differences between Fusion and Litter as well. And I think there's there's mostly quite a bit of overlap. Um, 
the concept of building an R package from an R Markdown document, I think is really interesting. Um, I don't think that there's necessarily one right way to build an R package in terms of which steps you should take first, second, third, et cetera. You know, for me, um, I think it, it changes depending on the R package that, that I'm building, you know, which piece I'm, I'm working on first, second, or third. Um, but for someone like me and you, Eric, who tends to obsess over reproducibility, uh, just as, as my team or my clients can, can profess as well about me, being able to fully reproduce your package development process is pretty intriguing. And, and um, that's what the, you know, the package down site for litter, um, they, they say that, that the idea of litter is to make this document, this RMD document, the actual source code for the package. So it's very interesting, very interesting to me. Um, you know, Sebastian provided a comment on Eway's post, which which links to a slide deck from a hands-on course that he taught on how to get started with Fusion. So I was browsing through those slides. I think it's about about 100 slides um, with some whole uh, links to, to a coding environment where you can uh, reproduce a project that he's put together there. So we added that to the show notes. It might be interesting as well, but, but I think for probably my next package development project, I'm, I'm going to take it, a look at, at Litter and Fusion and see if there's a way that makes sense for me to try to leverage one of these two packages. Yeah, as you were talking through that, I had my mind on some projects I have coming up this year where some of them are going to be very much a kind of stat statistics heavy researchy focus in terms of I'm probably going to have to iterate between different model types and different ways of presenting output and kind of documenting that process in that, like you've kind of set a source of truth, like our markdown file, it'll give me a way to keep track of my thoughts as I figure out, okay, now I can polish this up to a separate function or a separate class system or the like, and then be able to take that R markdown and then make that finished package out of it. I can see, especially in the early stages of package development, this being extremely useful. And of course, in a case of eating one's own dog food, so to speak, the author of Litter has used Litter to create the Litter package. There's a recursive acronym for the day. Or I did see that, yes. Yep, and that's, that's awesome. That's a great way to test out. Is your is your uh, magic working? And, and it's definitely working because that... Litter package is well-documented. Like I said, those aforementioned templates make it really easy to get started. And like I said, I think my next uh, in-depth statistics package is probably going to make use of this functionality. And I'm interested to share this with colleagues at the day job to see if they follow suit. Because like you said with your projects, Mike, I like me some R Markdown for reproducibility. Uh, that is a must in my industry, especially as we deal with complex uh, operations and traceability of how we got to that insight and say that clinical result. So yeah, lots to come on this hopefully. And it's an interesting space to follow. And as, as you said, Mike, we'll have links to uh, Sebastian's presentation, which I skimmed through that a little bit before we hit the record button here. And that is an excellent starting point that also sets up the motivation for this quite well, just as much as anything. So definitely check those out afterwards. A lot of inception going on with using litter to, to make litter. It sort of reminds me about the fact that the, I think the source code for GitHub is, is probably in a GitHub repository somewhere. Yes, somewhere that we can't see, but it's there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, I hope you got that, Mike. This is really important in the audience. You're going to have to get in on this too. So what did you just hear, folks? You just heard an audio version of Morse code. I'm a big fan of communicating via audio, as you know from me doing the podcast for quite a while and other series like this. Now, podcasting itself, you might say, is a somewhat recent endeavor in terms of communication. But we can go all the way back to the 1830s when we didn't have fancy phones or radios or computers to hear people's voices. And specifically in 1837, artist Samuel Morse, physicist Joseph Henry, and engineer Alfred Vail invented the Morse code specification that translates letters into a series of dots and dashes, which in turn can be converted to audio clicks, which was used in the good old telegraph machines, again, way back in our history to communicate very important messages um, across the radio waves, if you will, or whatever we called it back then. You can tell I'm not a very uh, proficient history buff on this, and we're not going to turn our weekly into a history podcast, although if you request it enough, maybe we can do a history of art at some point, but I digress. Why are we bringing this up today? Well, because if you ever wanted to create your own Morse code with audio directly in R, well, yes, you can now because Matt Dre, who's been featured in highlights before and never ceases to amaze me with his creativity, is back in the highlights with his new remorse package. I can't make this up. That is the name of the package. <laughs> with then there's a company blog post that we're going to talk about right now. And where he got inspiration for this, well, I can't, I've never met Matt before, so I'm not going to put words in his mouth. But apparently reading the, the blog post here, he's been doing some recent audio processing adventures inside his roguelike R package, which if you ever like your roguelike elements, dungeon crawlers in the text gaming days, Well, you can do that in R2 because why not? (laughs) Well, apparently throughout that exercise of building that package, he wanted events communicated via audio when the player would maybe get, you know, hit by a monster or whatever else. And so he took that idea and decided to see if how difficult it would be to take a string of text, could be any text, and then write a function using basically a clever lookup table of translating letters to these dots and dashes in Morse code so that right quickly on the spot, you can convert that text to the Morse code symbols, which by the way, that very important message I just played, the entirety of it is in this episode's show notes. So have fun translating that folks. But yes, you can convert that to the Morse code specification. And then Where you got that audio from? Well, I used this package and a little clever Linux audio magic to convert my top secret message into audio using the built-in packages function to do it. Yes, I, I will admit your mileage might vary for how this is useful in your daily work, but hey, it never hurts to be prepared in case, you know, Mike, you and I need to communicate during maybe a zombie apocalypse in the future, and only Morse code is going to save us from domination, so to speak. 
but also naturally. naturally, of course. And and to be honest, it's also a neat way to get a little education into the way the world used to communicate with these top messages in Morse code and going back and forth. So maybe it's a learning opportunity too. But Matt, as always, you never cease to amaze me. And um, congratulations for your geekery into this is just endlessly entertaining for us. So <laughs> kudos to you for that. But uh, yeah, Mike, uh, that top secret message, I'll expect that translation um, next week. But yeah, so what did you think about this? Yeah, I, I heard it loud and clear, obviously. Uh, the, like Matt's always coming up with unique stuff in the R world. I think that roguelike package of his is in the back catalog somewhere. I think that was a weekly highlight, and that blew my mind, the fact that you could play a roguelike game in your R console, which was a riot. I mean, even the title of this blog is unique. It's it's The title is Morse code. Um, so like you said, when the world does go up in flames and all we have left is a laptop uh, that obviously has R and this remorse package installed, at least we'll be able to communicate with each other in Morse code. Um, you know, one thing that I found to be a, to be pretty neat was that there's a function in the remorse package called Morse underscore lookup, which just provides you with a dictionary. I don't think it needs any arguments, just provides you with a dictionary that maps each letter, number, and punctuation symbol in the English alphabet to its respective Morse code equivalent. Um, so because of this dictionary, the package provides the ability to go from either plain English text to Morse code or, or vice versa from Morse code back to plain English text. Um, and like you said, Eric, you can also go from your Morse code to audio through the Morse 2 SFX function. Uh, crazy. And one more thing that I guess I'll note that I, I learned is that there's no sense of case, like upper or lowercase in Morse code. So everything essentially gets uppercased. So when uh, you go back from Morse code to plain English uh, in the console, that text will appear uppercase. My wife and I just finished watching a pretty trippy show on Netflix called 1899. Ooh. I don't know if you saw this one. I've or heard about this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it takes place on an old ship and the primary means of communication with the other ships is Morse code. So this is a, a, a very timely post. Um, and it's a fun little utility to try out yourself and, and definitely make sure to tune into next week's our weekly highlights, uh, which Eric and I will deliver completely in Morse code. No. <laughs> well, you know, we, we can we can dream, right? Um, or take us back way back in the day, perhaps. Yeah. So, hey, you know, if you really want it, you know how to contact us, which we'll get to towards the end. We might go viral. You know, yeah. If, if Whatever you got to do to get the audience up, Mike, you know, we're, we're not going to turn down that opportunity. But, <laughs> but yes, this was a, this is very entertaining. And yeah, it's an audio, you know, you know audio uh, fan, if you will, of my media production. This is, this will be something I'll make use of one way or another down the road. <laughs> well, what else can you make use of? Oh, it's the rest of the issue. Of course, Sam's again, done a tremendous job and we'll take a little couple of minutes here to spotlight some additional finds here. And speaking of find, my first find here is to help you find our packages. I'm referring to the package finder package by Joaquin Zuccarelli who in this package does what it says, has some handy internal fun uh, functions that you just simply use to search CRAN itself for a package based on keywords. And not only can you do this through the console itself, it has a convenient RStudio add-in to do the searching as well. I believe it comes with a Shiny app embedded inside as well if you wanna use it in more of a GUI fashion. 
And this can be really nice if you, you know you're looking for something maybe with a certain Bayesian model, or maybe you're looking for a package that wraps a certain data type, you know, this will be a great way to find it. I know with over, what do we have, 19,000 CRAN packages or so, it can be pretty difficult to hunt these in the default web interface. So anything to make your life easier to find that package you're looking for is certainly worth uh, looking into. I saw that there are a ton of exciting new enhancements coming in the GT package version 0.8.0 coming soon. Uh, one new feature that I'll just highlight I thought was pretty mind-blowing was this new extract cells function which allows you to quite literally grab a value from a cell in a GT table to use in your downstream inline text. So for example, that downstream inline text could be the caption right below the table. Um, and you can do this without having to like pre-compute that value separately or ahead of time. You can literally specify that, hey, I want the value that's in this cell in the table to be in pasted into this text uh, in my caption below the table. So I feel like that's pretty useful. It's going to save some code. Um, it's going to, I think, ensure some, some reproducibility and ensure that things line up between what's in your GT table and what's in uh, the, the text surrounding it and explaining the values in that table. So there's a ton more uh, of enhancements to, to check out. That was just one that, that caught my eye. So uh, look for, looking forward to GT version 0.8.0. Yeah, and I can definitely see value in this um, extraction function as we are using packages like GT more in the clinical reporting space to produce these really attractive, you know, summaries of, of data that we're producing here and to be able to take one particular result and maybe do some more, you know, elaboration on it or more narrative around it. I can see this being maybe the launching point to having even dynamic narrative around what you're seeing in the table without a lot of manual effort to parse that through again. Because you know me, I love my automation. If I can automate the extraction of that complicated inference result or, or average statistic without me having to type that out again, hey, I'm all for it. So really excited to see where GT goes in 2023 for sure. Absolutely. And I know you meant to say median, not average. Oh, right. Yeah. I get my non-parametric hat on. Yes, of course. <laughs> Just teasing. Yeah, well, uh, there is a whole lot more that we could have talked about on the issue, but of course, we're going to invite you to check it out. You listening, we have the link to this issue in the show notes. Lots of great additional packages, community events, and great tutorials out there for all across the spectrum where you can use R in your data science work. And certainly love to hear from you as well. If you want to get a hold of us, there are a couple of ways to do so. Um, we have the contact page for the podcast linked directly in the show notes. If you want to quickly get that into your web browser of choice and send us a note, no fuss of email clients. We'll be able to get that straight away after you send it. And if you want to have some fun while you listen to the show and provide feedback, I invite you to check out and get a new podcast app where we have a convenient link for that in the show notes of some you can choose from, such as, say, Fountain, Podverse, Castomatic. There's quite a bit out there. And you can send us a boostagram if you want to send your feedback in real time. There are all details for that are in these podcast apps. 
And certainly we welcome your contributions, however you like to do that, even for the R Weekly Project itself. If you find a great story or resource that you'd like to share with the next issue, we're just a pull request away. If you just go to rweekly.org, you'll see a link to the draft right at the top of the page and a very easy way for you to contribute a pull request and add your favorite link there. And our curator for the week will be glad to get that in for you. And of course, you might want to get a hold of us, maybe, if you want more Morse code shenanigans or whatnot. Um, you can find me on social media at Twitter with at the RCast and on Mastodon with at our podcast at podcastindex.social. And Mike, where can the listeners find you? Still on both as well at on Twitter, uh, Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. And Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org. Awesome stuff. And you can see this is actually getting natural for us to talk about now. It took us a little bit to get used to it. But yes, it is a a new world of social media that we're embarking into. Well, that's going to do it for episode 106 of our weekly highlights. And we'll be back with another edition next week.